I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many you know, more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Revely, revely, donks. Look at us now, tip to tip. This is our life. This is our passion. That's the spirit we bring to this show. I'm Luke Thomas. I'm Brian Campbell. This is Morning Combat. Yes, indeed. It is the 12th of April, 2021, and it is time for Morning Combat, donks. Hello, everyone. My name is Luke Thomas. I am one half of your hosting duo. Joining me on the other side of the screen is a BC who looks a little bit different, uh, of course, because it's not BC. He's on vacation. It is my friend and yours, UFC Hall of Famer, CBS Sports commentator for Combat Sports and Analysis, and a whole lot more. It's Rashad Evans. Hi, Mr. Evans. How are you? What's going on, LT? Man, I am just chilling, enjoying a beautiful day in South Florida. How are you? I am okay. It's a, uh, what kind of weather is it? It's a little bit over. It's like England today in the nation's capital, so it's not so great, but we had a pretty good weekend. A lot of combat sports over the weekend. Did you watch everything live or did you just catch it all later? What'd you do this weekend? I watched everything live, man. I, uh, I, I had a treat, and it's very rare that I get to sit back and be a true fan and watch everything as it airs live, but I got lucky and watched everything live. Where are you on fans versus no fans? as a fan when you're watching do you like the fans being there or not being there i like the fans being there i really do man it just adds a different kind of energy to just watching a a live event you know just kind of it just put a little punctuation i guess on the energy level and uh i miss it man i really do yeah i'm so glad they're gone (laughs) (laughs) i'm like i'm the exact opposite i'm like uh here's the thing it's like someone was trying to make a point they were saying that like if you watched I, i think this is true a 12-round boxing fight without the audience pretty clearly is missing something because it's so long. It's like, you know, it's like 36 minutes or so when you add up all of the different rounds. Plus, oh, hello, there's a minute in between, so it's actually more than that. So it ends up being, you know, quite a long time without some kind of conversation with the audience. But, like, for example, when they did Poirier versus Hooker at the Apex, and you could hear those two Rams, you know, just crashing into each other all the time. I got to tell you, I feel like, yeah, the fans would have made that better in a different way, but it was also good in a different way that they weren't there. It's my two cents. Yeah, yeah, I I hear that, man. Um, And having had experience, you know, firsthand being in the the arena at the Apex Center when there's no fans in there, it does add just a, a different kind of, you know, respect to what these guys are doing in there. Because when you hear the impact and you see the guy still standing after they got clocked with that crazy shot, then it just adds like, okay, these guys are really, really hitting. Uh, All right, we got a lot to get to today. Let's see, we've got uh, UFC from the weekend, uh, Rashad. We've got Bellator from the weekend. We got a little Jerron Ennis to get to. We got your questions um, and a whole lot more. So let's start things off. Give the video a thumbs up. 
hit that subscribe button. If you're new to MK, welcome. We appreciate it. Uh, let's see. We've got, if you want to try Showtime, you certainly can. Oh, yeah, here's our social, by the way. You can see it's all underneath. Sugar Rashad Evans is smart enough to keep his name the same between Twitter <laughs> and Instagram. I am not, so I've got a little bit of a different there, but Morning Combat is the same across both as well. Um, if you'd like to try Showtime, you certainly can. You can go to Showtime.com, get a 30-day free trial. If you like it, you can keep it. If not, you can pound sand. And if you want to take the plunge, you can see the URL right there, show.com slash Bellator MMA. If you sign up, you get the first six months for four ninety nine a month for the entirety of the Showtime experience, whatever is live on the air, plus all of the on-demand library uh, there. Uh, we got to get Rashad Evans some merch, I feel like. Do you have any MK merch? Man, I have no MK merch, man. I, I, I normally wear a combat shirt, but because this is morning combat, I didn't want to get the confusion going. Normally, the fans are like, hey, where is this shirt? And I don't want to point that out, make it, you know, more obvious that I don't have any any gear yet. But, uh, yeah, I need some I need some MK gear. Okay. I'm going to have a conversation with some folks after the show. We got to get some headed your way. So uh, we'll see if we can figure that out. But for you other folks out there who are like Rashad, okay, maybe you're not a UFC Hall of Famer, but you ain't got no MK clothes. You can go to store.show.com. And, of course, we've got a whole series of uh, merch items. I'm on the way here pretty soon. And uh, Rashad, anything you want to plug? Nah, no plugs for me, man. All no right. plugs. All right, well, let's get things started. We got a lot of show to get to. Let's kick it off here on this Monday edition. Let's start with the biggest story in the MMA world from the weekend. It, of course, was UFC on ABC2. And in that main event, UFC middleweight Marvin Vittori defeated Kevin Holland via unanimous decision. Frankly, it was never close. Um, I don't. I think all the scores were 50-44 across the board. So he had at least one 10-8 round in the course of that. And of course, and you saw it as well as I did. Rashad Marvin Vittori basically following the Derek Brunson game plan. If it ain't broke, don't fix it. So let's start here. Number one, what was your biggest takeaway from that victory? And then second part of the question, which we'll get to in a minute, did it earn him a title shot? But let's start with the first biggest takeaway. Uh, biggest takeaway, you know, it was a smart fight by Marvin. Uh, you know, Kevin Holland's very dangerous on his feet, and, and he mitigated all uh, any any dangers by taking him down. But his chain grappling was really, really impressed me. You know, he was able to not only hold Kevin down, but, you know, advance his position, going from one uh, position to the next and, and really not allowing it to get in that position where the referee could stand it up because the action got stale. Um I would have liked to see more ground and pound in certain positions, but uh, for the most part, he, he did enough to get the job done. Um, now, does this warrant a title shot? I don't think so. I mean, just because of the fact that, you know, I mean, Kevin Holland is a tough out and, you know, and especially taking on short notice. But at the same time, I just didn't see that punctuation on the fight to show that, you know, the show that Marvin is is in that conversation of being a title contender. I think, you know, when you're going for the title, I think there needs to be that 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 hype around it at first. There needs to be a performance where the fans are like, yo, this guy needs to be in there. I don't know what the UFC's thinking for not having him in there. I think that needs to be in order to have somebody to, you know, to, to challenge a guy like Israel Adesanya because Israel is much CTV and you want to see him get a dance partner as such. We don't want to just continuously just feed him to feed him, but we want to make it interesting. We want to make it, you know, a blockbuster we can or close to as a blockbuster we can. So I think there's a little bit more heavy lifting on Marvin's part in order to get that. And with one uh, more impressive win, I think he does get that. 
Yeah, I think he's one win away too. I want to. We'll get to that in just a second. Let me. Uh, let me say this: like on Friday's show, Rashad, what I had argued was uh, because at that point, obviously, we had known that uh, Darren Till was going to be out. That was the originally scheduled opponent, and Kevin Holland was going to fill in. And I thought to myself, if you're Marvin Vittori, um, this is a this is something of an IQ test. You just saw Derek Brunson do what he did to Kevin Holland. I'm not saying that I think Marvin Vittori is Derek Brunson, Rashad. But what I'm saying is, if you're Marvin Vittori and you saw what Derek Brunson did, you had to like your chances to be able to follow a similar kind of game plan if you needed to. Why would you strike with this guy on the feet for any you know pronounced amount of time if that's not a choice you needed to take? And you know, Marvin Vittori, you know, he's a bit aggro. He's a bit kind of bro dude screaming and. I don't know, in a different world, he'd be, you know, eating beer cans and, uh, I don't know, doing crazy stunts or something. He decided to do MMA. My point being is he gets a bit of a reputation for a guy who doesn't make uh, rational choices and he's kind of aggro. I don't know. He showed me five rounds of rational choices. Was it the most exciting rational choices? Okay, maybe not. But there's a lot of ways that could have gone wrong. You've come all this way. Uh, it's a last-minute switch. Darren Till is not Kevin Holland. Someone set it up for you. I don't know. I kind of feel like people should be like, yeah, was I blown away? No, I was not blown away. But was I impressed that this guy was able to follow a disciplined game plan for 25 minutes on a short-notice opponent in the main event on ABC? Yeah, Rashad, I guess I am. Yeah, I mean, you know, I think I think for the most part um, – yeah, you're, you're right. You know, he, he went in there and he definitely uh, did what he needed to do. And, and he definitely got his IQ points for being able to follow that, that solid game plan that Derek Brunson laid out. But I felt like it was kind of, you know, um, a miss for, for Kevin Holland in the sense that, you know, with, with Marvin Vittori, he's someone that you can definitely engage with in a verbal banter and get a reaction from. You know, Vittori is not going to shy away from from trash talking or, or getting in that kind of confrontation. You can emotionally engage him all day. And I don't really see that from Kevin Holland. And I think he would have been able to, uh, I guess, I can't even say, it's hard to say what he been would have been able to do, but it, it may have uh, made the fight take a different kind of complexion if Vittori would have fought on that emotional uh, that emotional sense, you know, when it, when it comes to decision making, you know, if you're not too emotionally engaged, then it's easier to make the smarter choice and it, and it was easier for Marvin to make the smart choice over and over again with that takedown. Uh, yeah, I think yes, that sounds that sounds absolutely right to me. And uh, one thing I've kind of noticed with him a little bit too, Rashad. I wonder how you feel about this because I saw you were planning your training and slash coaching schedule for the day before the show started. Vittori's got pretty good takedowns along the fence, and we saw it in the Adesanya fight. We saw it here too. He'll press people into the fence, Rashad, but like he won't spend a whole lot of time there. He's got takedowns on the fence where he'll press you there to like. To, to restart the position or, or you know, hold it in place for a second. And then he pulls you off of it and then sends you in a series of chain directions to get you to pick one way and then he goes the opposite. It's pretty effective. Yeah, it was really effective. You know, he really showed that um, his IQ with, with, with grappling and wrestling is at a higher level because, you know, the way he pulled off the cage and how he was able to drop the level and kind of just beat... 
Kevin Holland to the angle even before securing a takedown, which allowed him to fall uh, fall in a position to be on top in a takedown position. It was a really slick way of getting a takedown, and it was one that was a low cost energy uh, uh, takedown. And when you're looking at you know the takedowns in MMA, one thing that makes them so uh, a dreaded thing to go for over and over again because it is is the the energy that you have to get on those takedowns. But if you know Vittori is showing that he's able to get these takedowns without expending too much effort and too much energy, then some of the guys, you know, like the Israel, the Sanya, the guys who have a hard time or may have a hard time getting up could be in trouble because if you don't got to spend too much energy, then the, the effort that you can put on top is that much more. A um, couple things I would say also about Vittori that I like and the things that I'm a little bit worried about. Uh, we have seen, Rashad, situations. I'm trying to think if there was a situation. Yeah, I think that's. I think it's true for you too. When you fought Tiago Silva... That wasn't your originally scheduled opponent, was it? No, it wasn't. It wasn't. So let me ask you about this. We have seen people like, oh, he should have finished Kevin Holland. But it's like Derek Brunson couldn't finish him. Kevin Holland, his takedown defense, not great. We'll talk about him in just a second. But like, if you look at the numbers, he doesn't take a ton of abuse underneath, right? When he gets taken down, he's pretty good about, for the most part, staying out of trouble. He doesn't advance the fight, really, but he doesn't get like, you know, run over or something. Uh, so I, I, I appreciate that, you know, Vittori's able to get the takedown, although he didn't do much with it. But here's my point. A lot of times headliners, when they get a last-minute opponent change, you don't necessarily see the best of them. They get the job done, but they, you know, they get real different about the risk calculus there. There's probably a lot of factors in play. When you fought Tiago Silva, I think you headlined that card. I think it was UFC 103 or yep. something, something like that. Yeah. Um, did you feel that way? Yeah, I wanted to get the finish, but at the same time, I really wanted to get the win more than anything. I think, um, you know, when a guy's coming in and you have a short notice fight, um, you know that you're going to go out there and you're going to put the pressure on them. You're going to try to do what you need to do, but for the most part, you're not going to, you're not going to try to, you know, uh, take too many chances for the most part because you know that this all these guys have is that chance so you're going to keep the pressure on you and keep it steady now if this fight is going to take any kind of different look it's up until the guy who's coming in to challenge to make it so that okay now i have to change up the level in which i was fighting and then now i can raise the bar on you but if, for the most part if i got you and um and and it's a last minute fight I'm going to go and put that pressure on. And if there's a position or if there's there's something that I see that you're not doing, then I'm going to put then I'm going to put more pressure on you in that area. But if you're not going to show me that 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 glaring hole, then I'm going to keep the, I'm going to keep it status quo and just get the W. Uh, OK, so let's talk about the second part of this real quickly, if we can, Rashad, which is to earn him a title shot. See, I'm, I'm of the position, Rashad, that I'll give uh, Vittori credit for making the smart, rational choices to get his hand raised when facing a dangerous, if somewhat limited opponent in a short-notice main event situation. I think he made the right call. At the same time, if you're going to make that call, which is something of a safer choice, if you're going to do that, you can't go out there and say, I've done everything I possibly could to earn right. a title shot. To me, this was just evidence that his win over Jack Hermanson was no fluke. Not, not that people thought it was, but I'm saying, yes, this big dude can go 25 minutes. He can make smart, rational choices to get his hand raised. But has he done enough to get a title shot? It's like, dude, Robert Whitaker fights this weekend. A, you could already give it to him. B, if he beats Kelvin Gastelum, how do you not give the title shot to Robert Whitaker? I think that's where I come down. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, 
you know, I, I totally agree. You know, um, you know, Marvin's had two great fights back to back. But at the end of the day, it's not with that punctuation that you really feel you need to see. I mean, you have some worthy contenders ahead of him that uh, are definitely more deserving. And it will take that punctuation. That, that's what it takes about. That's what it means about that punctuation. When you have that punctuation, then you have the ability to leapfrog over the, the worthy contenders who might be uh, more deserving for than, than than you. You know what I'm saying? So that's what. That's what uh, Marvin really needs to consider, the fact that, yeah, with the knockout, he could have leapfrogged past those guys and got a title shot. But without it, now he he needs to have another solid win against a top guy. And then then from there, he definitely earned the title shot. But I think he has one more title shot. And I don't really believe that, you know, he should even rush to try to get a title shot. If he wants to be champion, he wants to hold that belt for a while. Take your time. Knock off another top contender and then go for the belt. That's the other part, too. It's like, okay, he didn't finish Holland because I'll give him the short notice exception. But also, it's like if you look at his last few fights, it's a lot of decisions. He's gotten a lot better, Rashad. He's gotten a lot better. But that, that... I wonder if you could speak to this. There's ways to like get parts of your game where you don't make the same mistakes or you really improve certain parts of it. But I also feel like there's another gear separate from that that fighters can either sometimes get into or develop where they they get much better at finishing. That's yeah. He hasn't quite gotten there yet, has he? No, he hasn't. And that's when a guy... Is, is is close to his mastery level. When you see guys close to their mastery level, and by mastery level, I mean like, you know, there's always a skill set that we all learn, but it's when I start to separate in my skill set is when I start to uh, get my skill set to the point where it becomes automatic, where I can land my overhand right like I landed on Chuck and, it, and, it's, and it's known for knocking people out or something like that, you know? Something along those lines where you just see like, it, it's almost like a finishing move and it doesn't, you know, they, they can hit it on anybody, you know? And I, I just don't see that kind of... Uh, that kind of technique out of Marvin yet out of out of any technique, you know, not even I can't say, oh, yeah, but he needs to watch out for this for Marvin. He needs to watch out for Marvin's left hook or something. You know, there, there's not that one thing. And because there's not that one thing, he needs to definitely develop that one thing or multiple things. So that way it, it is a conversation for whoever he has to fight and, and they have to prepare for that. All right, so let's talk about Kevin Holland here real briefly, then we have to call an audible. There's something of a breaking story we'll get to here. But first, Kevin Holland. I didn't I didn't like this gamble, Rashad. And I you know, it's funny, like I'll see decisions that fighters make before fights, like should I take it, should I not, or or, or an organization, should we attempt this business effort, should we not? And those are revealing because I I've found that through that I'm a little bit more risk hesitant than some other players in this space, which fine, you know, there, there's both positives and negatives to that. I don't, I don't present that to you as like a a, a, um, a a better alternative. It's, you know, it's got strength and weaknesses like any position. But what I mean to say is I didn't like this gamble because you had to ask yourself, can Marvin, does Marvin Vittori have enough of the skills of what Brunson was able to do over Kevin Holland to follow a similar game plan? You had to know the answer was yes. And I appreciated that Kevin Holland showed a little bit more fire here, a little bit more working off of his back, a little less trash talk, a little more focus. But why would you go and get audited against Derek Brunson and then go up against a guy who can do most of that auditing himself without the time in between to fix the reasons why you got audited? 
I didn't like this gamble at all. What do, what do you make of the choice he made, and what should he do next? Well, it's it's the old saying, right? The same things that make you laugh will make you cry. In 2020, <laughs> he blessed us all, right? He blessed us all with great uh, fights by taking them short notice sometimes. And, you know, he's had some great performances in 2020. And, um, you know, I, I thought that this is a good way for him to kind of right that wrong that happened in a Derek Brunson. And I was thinking that, you know what? There's a possibility that that. that 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 takedown and him being held on doesn't happen in this fight because you know if if you look at the fight where he fought Jacare Jacare took him taking him down and we knew at that point okay it, it was might have been a wrap for Kevin Holland because if anybody gets him down especially Jacare you know he's going to do his thing but when Kevin knocked him out we were thinking okay well this guy you know has has some confidence he has some game off his back to be able to do something like that off of Jacare so I thought that maybe. Maybe there was a little bit of fool's gold in, in that Derek Brunson. So, but but it it really wasn't. It really wasn't. And um, that's that's the thing with, with with this whole Kevin Holland situation is the fact that you know uh, you know he he needs to seriously take some time and and get better and develop that area of his game. All right, let's. Um, oh, 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 last question on this: How long should he sit out? If you're if you're Kevin Holland. You're sitting on three weeks. It was a bad, you know, last three weeks for you. How long do you wait before you come back? He's got to. He's got to wait at least uh, at least a few months. At least uh, I would say probably about. I'll say probably about five six months. And 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 I and I say that because not only does he have to grow in this area area, but he's got to get back that same mindset that he had before. Like he's taken a bit of a mental uh, step back. You know, like like mentally speaking, he's not sounding the same as he was. I met this guy. I met him uh, at at the Fighters Hotel, and he was fiery. He was so fiery. Uh, he almost got in a fight with, with Israel Adesanya when I tried to introduce him. You know, just just uh, you know, uh, back you know when when we were at the hotel, like they almost got into it, and he was just that fiery. You know what I'm saying? He wanted to fight everybody. I want to see that guy again. I want to see the guy who wanted to fight everybody again. And he's just not there now. He's kind of conceding to the fact that he's getting beat. If you're the number one in the world, you don't, you never concede to, you never concede to losing. You never do. And I'm seeing him concede to it. And I think more, more or less than his skill level with the wrestling, I think mentally he needs a reset. Yeah, when he gets wrapped up and someone presses him into the cage, and so let's say it's a 50 50, one overhook, one underhook. You know, and the person's trying to figure, the person taking him down is trying to figure out the next steps to get to the legs or, you know, whatever they're doing. He's not real urgent, is he? He's not really like, I, I, you know, not that you want to freak out, but that you want to take real concerted steps to stop and separate what's happening here. And you look at his messages on social media afterwards, and it's like, you know, I got humped. Well, Jorge Masvidal complains about getting humped too, but then he brings in Bo Nickel in practice. You know what I mean? He's bringing in like, three-time national champions from Penn State to get him ready. So he does the jibber-jabbering about it, but he also does the work. To me, Kevin Holland, it sort of feels like, oh, you took me down and, you know, you held me there. It's like, that's a part of the game I don't really care about. So to me, it doesn't mean anything. Now, I'm putting words in his mouth. I don't know if he feels that way, but it doesn't look that way. You got to do the Jorge Masvidal bit. You can insult them all you want for, you know, all that stuff, but you got to at least try to maximize your chances via defensive wrestling and until he does that, I don't know what he's going to do. You're absolutely right. I mean, this is the fight game. And to win a fight means that 
I impose my will over you. And, and my will is whatever I choose that will to be. You know what I'm saying? It, it doesn't matter what I choose that will to be. If I'm beating you and I do that over you, then you lost to me no matter what. And you should take a look and see what where, where you're deficient at. Um, the fact that and, and this is what I mean about the, the mindset. You know what I'm saying? The mindset after you lose and get dominated in one facet of the sport is not to say, oh, well, you know, you dry hump me and stuff like that. And, and to not take it serious is that you got to be like, hey, I got to I got to work on this. You know what I'm saying? I think I think the world of Kevin Holland, I think that Kevin is one of the toughest uh, guys and, and, and has a lot of potential to rise to the next level and be one of those guys. But he, he's got to get it together here. and He's got to really start to turn it around uh, from a skill set standpoint and look at those areas where he needs to focus on and get better at without without the, the reservation in it and just do what needs to be done. Let's uh, let's call an audible here, Rashad. So during right. the course of our wonderful discussion around Kevin Holland's defensive wrestling and everything else in between, Conor McGregor has been tweeting Dustin Poirier. Now let's back up a step here just a second. Did you follow what happened last night with Dustin on social media towards Conor? No, I did not. All right, so not. I'll set it up for you in the audience who may have missed it as well. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here as in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. So I guess Connor did a prediction video or some kind of video where he uh, predicted a fourth round stoppage of um dustin in their third fight which is supposed to be on july 10th okay and it was some kind of special maneuver maybe it was a kick maybe it was a punch but it was a fourth round you know striking stoppage uh dustin last night took to twitter and on twitter he i'm gonna here it is you can see it on the screen that's a fun <laughs> prediction conor mcgregor you also predicted a donation to my foundation the good fight uh and you and your team stopped responding after the fight in january See you soon. July 10th, paid in full, okay? Well, you can imagine this did not necessarily sit all that well with he and his team. Audi Attar came out and made some kind of weird statement calling it low, and it's like, well, I'm not sure which one's low. Is it low to say you're going to donate money and then not do it, or is it low to bring that up? I don't know. But okay, Conor McGregor has a different idea about things. Uh, he's basically saying, you know, we, I don't just give people money. I want to know where it's going. So he put out one tweet to that effect, but now they're just going back and forth. So let me read the ones that came out while we were talking. This is Conor McGregor to Dustin Poirier. You're ripped, you in inbred hillbilly. Why do you wink with your ears? You fucking brain dead hillbilly. 500K with no plan in place? Ye hang tight, fool. You must be new to money. Well, so are you, Connor. But okay. The fight is off, by the way. I'm going to fight someone else on the 10th. Good luck with your old contract, kid. And there's one more. Let's see if we can get it. My team does their due diligence to make sure every donation meets the mark. My generosity is known. You will pay with your brain for this attempt at smearing my name. Shooting ass, shelling ass bitch. <laughs> Little bitch kicks from a shell. Good luck when you're caught. You're fucked. Okay. Okay, Rashad. 
Okay, okay. Your your response to boy Connor's pissed, huh? Hey, listen, I love it because this is the Connor that we need. We need Connor to be pissed. We need Connor to be pissed. I don't want to see Connor shaking. I don't. I don't. I don't. Listen, I I I like sportsmanship. I I really do. Don't get me wrong, but I don't want to see Connor McGregor do it. <laughs> <laughs> I, I mean, I, I like to see Conor in, in the state in the state that he's in because that's when we get the best fights out of Conor. Now, 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 uh, uh, Dustin and Diamond Poirier. I mean, that was a great call out because the truth of the matter is, you know, he, he did say that he was going to to, to donate, you know, to his uh, his foundation, and they were all buddy buddy in the last fight and all those kind of things. So. Out of respect and your word of your man, you do have to, you know, do exactly as you say you were going to do as, as as a man, as a man, you have to, you know, just on the strength. But uh, I love this action back and forth. I'm, and, I, and I hope it carries over to the fight because the truth of the matter is I don't want to see Conor McGregor in another fight like that. I don't want to see it because right. he, he, he's he, he's missing a part of what made him great. You know what I'm saying? And, and what makes him great is the fact that he he does he does talk himself into the corner and when he's backed into the corner that's when he fights I I got to tell you Rashad I like you a lot I'm not donating 500,000 to your foundation <laughs> I want you to know that I'm never going to do that I'm never going to offer you that kind of money to your foundation I got to tell you when the last fight came around the rematch and people were asking me like casual fans like yeah but Connor's like He's real nice now. I I honestly believed, and maybe you did at the time, I don't know, but at the time I was like, well, okay, it's the, the pre-fight stuff is not as fun now, but you know, he's rich, he's older, he's a dad. He doesn't necessarily need to go to those places to get that out of himself. He's a mature fighter, he's developed in his skill set. I don't know if I believe that anymore. In fact, I'm pretty sure that I don't. I don't know that he needs to be like raging mad either. To your point, you got to be able to make some, you know, calculated decisions in a in the heat of the moment. But dude, when he's a little bit like, you got to just be who you are. Perfect example. If George St. Pierre tried to do the thing where it was like, "Fuck you, bitch, I'm gonna kill you," you'd be like. I don't know if this works for me. Even when he tried to Matt Hughes, uh, you know, this does not impress me with your performance, that kind of a thing. You were like, Jesus, George, this is terrible. What are you doing? <laughs> so you got you, it, it, him being a sportsman, to your point, Rashad, that's who he is. Let's leave him that. Connor is a troll. Connor is a jerk. Connor's in your face and he's loud and he's kind of annoying. But that is the guy that produces, I think, the magic. It at least gives him some spark for observers to believe him. Yeah, I, I totally agree with that, man. I mean, I think that's what was missing in his last fight was just that spark that that just, you know, um, I can't lose because I talk this much trash. And and now that he's he he's luring us back in. And here's the thing about it: like when this fight was was getting talked about over again, I'm just like, oh my god, I don't want to see this. It's a foregone conclusion. You know, Connor's done. I just didn't want to see it. It just didn't have that interest to me. Now. I'm interested. I'm interested because, you know, it, it takes a different kind of complexion when you have Conor McGregor talking like this um, to Dustin because uh, 
for the most part, I didn't feel like Dustin does did. I mean, he didn't do well at all last time. You know, last time it, he he lost a fight before it even happened with the trash talking. So now we'll see what this this does to him. But having that devastating win over Connor last time, this this trash talk might just be a drop in the bucket to Dustin. He might just be like say what you want to, kid. I'm gonna own you. Well, I see. Here's what I also can't decide. He's like, "Fuck you, fights off." You know, you're gonna get, you're gonna, you're gonna pay for this. Do you think the fight's off or no? No, the fight's not off. It can't be <laughs> off. I mean, it, it, it's, it's. He needs a fight. You know what I'm saying? He needs it. He here it is. Dustin, Dustin's allowing him back in the conversation by even having this fight. What is the angriest you ever were? But like, you could channel it. Is there a fight where you were like, you could just feel? Not, maybe not even anger is the word, but just. A, a readiness to get the job done, but at the same time, it wasn't in control of you. You were in control of it. It was the rampage fight. I was just seething that fight. That fight was just one that it, it, it took very little to just set me off. And, and normally, I like to stay in a nice, playful mood and joke around and laugh. But there was no laughs about it. Like when it came fight week, I was just locked in, super intense, not laughing too much, just. Uh, I need. I needed to get this fight. I needed to get this W. You know, I felt. I felt as if like Rampage was humiliating me, and I just needed to just shut him up. Hmm, that's interesting. Yeah, I hope they make it on uh, on July tenth. The last thing I'd say about this is, what do you make of this idea? Like, can you regain a lost fire? You know, you, I, you and I have probably seen a lot of fighters come and go, and they kind of just burn out. And sometimes. They burn out for like good reasons. Let me give you an example. I don't want to say people's names, but I've seen fighters. And by the way, this is very like, you know, I've seen fighters experience similar circumstances and it does nothing to them one way or the other. But I'm saying I've seen people like get right with religion. I've seen people become dads. I've seen people like, I don't know how exactly how to say it. And they come into the game with like this anger from their life. And then as their life gets a little bit sorted and things begin to find order and the reasons why they were angry no longer apply to the world. I've seen them get calmer, but then not as good as a fighter as they used to be. And I don't know if you can recapture that. Now, I'm not saying that's happened to Connor, but you know his life has come together in pretty positive ways. Financial stability, um, you know, familial stability. Obviously, you know, there's trappings that come with being a celebrity, and uh, he's has his own problems with the law. But what, what do you make of this hypothesis? That's a great hypothesis. I think you just kind of. Uh you know, uh, without even knowing it, describe what happened to me. You know, that's the truth of the matter. You know, when I first started fighting, I had like this, this residual anger that I had from my life. And, um, there was no, there was no, uh, putting it out. There was no quenching it. There was no satisfying it. And, you know, I, I just needed to fight. It was almost therapy for me. And, um, as life happened, you know, and, and, you know, I've been able to get successful in life and just, just living, uh, it changed a lot of those things and it, it allowed me to heal and I healed in those areas that were were uh, raw and uh, was was a big part of, you know, was a big fuel to why I fought it, why I fought. I'm sorry, why I fought. And um, it, it as I moved to that, that 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 place of healing, I just was like, why am I doing this anymore? So can you get that fire back? You can get that fire back because what I'm talking about is perspective. You know what I'm saying? At one perspective, I fought like that because I had that mindset, you know, from, from the perspective I was dealing with. But once I, I, I was 
healed, I, I was, you know, still thinking from that perspective. What I needed to do was I needed just to shift my, my thinking, you know, change the game up. It's all a mental game anyways. Right. But when, if you're able to change up the game, change up the why you're doing it, then you can definitely, uh, refuel yourself and change, you know, where the, why you're fighting. And if Connor has done that, then we can see a, a devastating Connor in there, but it's just a matter of just changing that. Why? But you have to have that conversation with yourself. Hmm. Right, you can't, it won't happen by itself. It's not. It's not no, automatic. It no. Uh, let's get to. Uh, we'll come back to this if there's more developments on it. Uh, team, I don't know if there's any other things that I'm missing. I don't think so. I think I got to the majority of it. Let me uh, move the show along if I can. Bellator 256, Rashad took place on Friday on Showtime. All right, so a couple of your former best friends, there, Rashad, uh, Ryan Bader defeating Leota Machida in the uh, first bout in the light heavyweight Grand Prix. Let's talk about it here for just a second. Then we'll get to some of the other pieces from the card itself. Um, how, how did Bader look to you, Rashad? He looked good. You know, one thing I, I've always uh, been a critic about Bader is sometimes that, you know, um, he can, he can you know, get off his game plan a little bit. You know what I'm saying? Sometimes he can be, uh, be I guess, coaxed off his game plan. And uh, he stayed very consistent, you know. And, and the most part, he was able to close the distance with his hands and take some really good, powerful shots and just keep Machida on his heels. I mean, that, that was a tough fight going against Machida because Machida was burying those heavy leg kicks. And that's what Machida does really well. And he sets these traps. Machida does a really good job of setting traps. And Machida's traps are this he throws really blistering leg kicks right and he just throws them out of nowhere so you on the outside you get kind of panicked and scared because when somebody throw heat at you throwing like a baseball at your hand you're like okay i need to hurry up and it forces you to take a bad shot or take a bad punch or just kind of forces your action when you don't need to when you're not ready and then that's when machita capitalizes now, Ryan Bader did a really good job of absorbing those big shots and then still staying calculated and then still setting up his takedowns and getting a takedown. That's something that we wouldn't have seen in Bader a couple of years ago, but that just shows the development in Bader. It does. So for me, I came away with like two things here from this, Rashad. One was I think Bader might be your favorite to win that side of the bracket because it was Lyoto, Bader, then it was Corey Anderson. Obviously, he's still very much a player. And then Davlistan Yakshamuradov, who is something of a unknown or at least, you know, not we don't know how he's going to do at this level kind of a thing. So you would imagine it's probably going to be Bader versus Anderson, although it may not necessarily be. I'm like, he might win the whole bracket. He is the heavyweight champion. He still has a lot of skills to compete and get wins. But I don't, I, you know, what is he, 37? I didn't learn it, 36, something like that. I didn't learn anything yeah. new. To me, what I definitely learned was that like Machida did really well in that first round. In fact, I, I thought he won it, and then yeah. he fell off of a cliff. I think he's 43 years old. He might be 42, but 43 soon. Father Time's caught up with him. I know he's smart. I know that um, you know he's well-liked. Uh, he's been in the fight game a long time. He's done some big things. I don't know how you can watch this and say, yeah, it's got to be hard to have a big Ryan Bader barreling down on you. Okay, fine. But also, you know, that's the guy from 10 years ago that would have done that. I, I don't think that's true, Rashad. Yeah, you're, you're right in that respect because um, I, I've seen when that fight, Machida just kind of trail off in the energy perspective. And, and the thing that, to your point, would made it seem as if, like, you know, maybe he's a little bit, 
you know, getting to that point where he needs to think about, is this what he needs still wants to do? It's a recovery, right? When, when you're getting tired like that and you can't recover and just don't seem to be able to do it, then it's like, you know, the, the reserve isn't there. And, um, it, it might be time and the legs too. The legs is what I look at. The legs didn't look, uh, as strong as they need to early out. They did, but just, um, after the fight got going, his legs were kind of getting stuck in the mud when, when he needed to be moving and the old Machida would have been out of there. And that's how he was able to catch people in those traps was his legs. So yeah, you're right about that. And, um, well, great let me, fight let me ask Bader, some, Rashad, when yeah. you say, when you say legs, just to clarify, to clarify, do you mean like his footwork or do you mean that the legs themselves were a little bit wobbly? Um, well, yeah, his foot, his footwork and they looked a little bit wobbly. Like, you know, there there was times where, because early out in the fight when he was fresh, he was, you know, using those leg kicks to kick and then move out of the way when Bader was closing in. But then after a while, you seen Bader just come and press the action and then Machida not being able to get his legs out. And then even off the jab where Machida was recognizing that the next motion that Bader was going to do was a level change for the takedown. He stopped even recognizing that motion and really just getting his plant uh, his foot planted for the defense with the punch and getting just blown over with the takedown. So his legs were getting stuck a little bit. Hmm. Interesting. Uh, okay. So elsewhere on the, actually, you know what? Let me ask you, um, do you share my opinion that Bader is the, in your mind, is he the favorite to win that side of the bracket again? Uh, he already beat Lyoto. So the other two would be um, Anderson and Yakshamuradov. Um, I think that Yakshamiranov is a bit small, so I think that he's going to get beat by Corey Anderson. Yeah. But I think the pace that Corey Anderson has is going to be something that 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 challenges Ryan Bader, you mm-hmm. know. And and the fact that he's, you know, I mean, Ryan Bader has a really good rolling left hook and, and some power in those hands, but those are combinations that sometimes he kind of jumps into. And with a guy like Corey Anderson who has great straight linear punches and at the same time has really good le- level changes with a good pace, that might be a uh, big challenge for him. Bader's got a big punch, though, you know? Yeah, I know. Uh, that's that's the thing. That's the thing. And Corey, and Corey sometimes has trouble taking that big punch. Right. It should be kind of interesting. All right, the last part of the Bellator 256 uh, storylines here, Kat Zingano versus the winner of Cyborg Smith. Now, they, they already fought Cyborg and Smith in the UFC at 140-pound catchweight. Cyborg... You know, made short work of her. I don't, I don't know what else to say. She made short work of her. So that is going. They're going to run that back, but this time, of course, at the at the 145 pounds, um, it'll be for the title. Let's say it ends up being Cyborg, okay? Which I, I suspect it will be, but let's see. You think Kat Zingano can out wrestle her for five rounds? Yes. Yes, I think she Whoa, can. Okay, I think she. I think she can because here's the thing about it. I don't necessarily think that um, Cyborg has the best wrestling in the world. I think she makes a lot of mistakes in the grappling. I think if any, if you're going to beat her anywhere, it will be in the grappling department. You know, so I think she definitely has a chance in that capacity. But she she can't be afraid. And that's one thing that, that, that stopped her in the last fight. And that's the thing that stops a lot of people from beating Cyborg is just the fear factor alone. Hmm. Um. I, I'm skeptical of her chances, to be honest with you, because here's the thing about, I was having this debate with BC as well, and everyone's like, oh, Cyborg's in the twilight of her career, which, okay, fine, that's probably true. It's definitely true. Uh, she ain't showing a lot of signs of slipping, though, man. Like, she's pretty, she's still pretty much the same. I mean, there's some differences, but she's more or less the same Cyborg um, than, she, than she has been the last few years. She's a little more disciplined. She's not as wild as she once was. 
And while I do think that Cat is probably the better wrestler of the two overall, I don't know. Cyborg, this is what you were getting at earlier, dude. She competes with a certain level of intensity uh, throughout the course of a fight that I don't know I see Zingano do. Yeah. Well, LT, here's the thing. Like like you said, I, I, I agree in that respect. And I, and, I, and I think that, yeah, overall, I think that her, her chances are, you know, slim to none and slim left town. But at the same time, <laughs> um, I, I think that if she can get the fights in the areas where, you know, she can, you know, contest with the physical aspect, with the grappling, I think that can be a bit challenging for, for, for Cyborg. But it's, it's, it's all about the stand-up. How is that stand-up exchange going to go? What is, how is Kat feeling comfortable with the transition right before she goes for the shot? Because the shot is one thing, but being able to get the shot on a consistent basis where she's able to make um, Cyborg have to really dig deep to defend it, that's another thing. And that really only happens when you can get Cyborg to engage blocking some of these punches up here where she can penetrate deep off a takedown. All right, so we'll come back to the UFC card as well. I want to point I forgot to mention that earlier. Um, let's go to something else that happened on Showtime all over the weekend. So Bellator was on Friday. Boxing, Showtime Championship Boxing, was back on Saturday, and we had told everyone about. I, I said to everyone, I, "I listen. I'm not some kind of boxing expert, but I think about it. I don't know about a year ago or so. Uh, BC was like, you got to see this guy, Jerron Ennis.' And I watched him, and I was like, "Holy smokes, he is, he is good. He was 21, 22 at the time. He's now 23 years old, and he faced Sergey Lipinets in the main event on uh, Saturday. I think at 147 pounds, pure welterweight, and he." beat him easily i mean it was uh he did whatever he wanted to i remember watching it bc is on vacation rashad and he hit me up and he goes how did how did ennis look and i told him i said dude lippinets was he was never in this fight he landed a couple of decent shots you know through the course of whatever it was five and some five rounds and some change but not not really much jerron ennis does and did almost whatever he wanted to Rashad you've been around a lot of fighters and a lot of kickboxers a lot of boxers too for 23 years old can you tell me and tell the audience just how good Jerron Ennis is absolutely phenomenal and listen his ability to change stances and fight effectively out of both stances is what I was most impressed in. Like most people, when they change stances, there are some holes when they change to the side they're not familiar with, defensively speaking. But you couldn't find any of those holes at all in Jerron. He just looks super fluid and super fast with those combinations. And the power that he threw with those combinations was crazy. And I love the fact that he's able to change up speeds. The fact that he changed up speeds the way that he does on his combinations makes him that much more effective. I haven't seen a guy fight like this meaning from left to right changing up stances and boxing since Marvin marvelous Marvin Hagler I mean mm. rest his rest his, rest his soul one of the greatest fighters at fighting from that ch ch uh, switch stance but you look at Ennis 23 years old with great punching power being able to switch stances like that and with a great punching vocabulary and great angle selection the sky's the limit for this guy uh, why don't you see boxers change stances much well because w with boxing you know um 
they're so much more technical and they're only hitting from the waist up, you know? So w- when you switch up the stance, defensively speaking, you're, you're more vulnerable. So a lot of guys don't perfect the defense on that side enough where they feel comfortable enough to switch stances. And that's why they don't do it as like they would do because when they're in boxing, these guys are just uh, so efficient on their feet. And if you go in with a guy who's really efficient, you don't got a chance if, if you switch stance and you're not defensively put together. When you talk about him switching the tempo on his punches, do you mean like, let's say he throws a three-punch combination, he'll go slow, slow, fast? Like he'll change yep. tempo in the middle of a combination? Like what do you mean? Yeah, yeah. By that, I mean, yeah, he'll start off making his punches look one way. And then as you're seeing his hands go one way, then he changes on another speed on you. And it makes it really hard to... uh to even stop that if you're if you're on a defensive side because you're looking at it one way and your speed is for another way and then he comes and just brings it that much harder. It, it's hard because you, you don't really see it. You don't really see it at all. You just feel it. You're just like, man, I, I didn't even know what he hit me with. You honestly feel like the referee jumped in and hit you with something. <laughs> the referee's uh, also against you. You have to yeah. fight the opponent and the referee. Yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, in, terms of, in terms of being 23 years old, he doesn't look 23, right? He looks, I mean, he does look 23. He's a young guy. But what I mean in terms of his skill set, um, people have been talking about who he should fight. And I saw some people throw out the name Keith Thurman. You, you, you don't believe Keith Thurman will take this fight. Why not? Nah, Keith Thurman better not take this fight. I mean, Keith Thurman's been out. <laughs> hey, Keith Thurman, he's 32 years old. So he's, he's still in his prime. And, and he's going into a stronger year. I think those years between 30 to maybe like 34 is, is sometimes your strongest times. But, you know, um, Keith Thurman's been out for two years and he's coming off a loss uh, with Manny Pacquiao and just, you know, haven't been active. When you haven't been active, you don't want to step in there with the guy who has been active and who's younger and who's surging and, and who, you know, hasn't had their, their, their chance to be at the top. So for them, you know, they're looking at, you know, being up there um, as, as a champion. And if you're not willing to match that with that mindset, then, then you can get chewed up. And for Keith Thurman, it won't be a good fight for him. Oh, it's just a, a one note about Jerron Ennis, if I can. This is a conversation, obviously, I wish BC was here for because he would probably be, uh, you know, f- full of delight and glee. But I, I've said something to uh, BC about Jerron, and so I said the same thing about Teofimo. I've said about MMA fighters too, Teofimo Lopez, about MMA fighters as well. Which is that sometimes when I watch a guy, let's say he's up and coming, right? So let's say for the MMA side, he's either brand new to UFC contender series or you know LFA that that kind of a level. Sometimes you'll see a prospect coming up, and I use the words, they, their talent jumps off the screen. They just do, they move in ways that a neophyte doesn't. They have a certain sophistication, slickness, efficiency, smarts, well-roundedness. You know, And I thought Teofimo Lopez before the Lomachenko fight was that way. Ennis is that way. Have you, can you think of a time when you saw someone and it was like immediately clear to you uh, in their early stage? That they were going to mm-hmm. do something special because their talent jumped off, you know, the the page or the screen or uh, whatever was in front of you. Yeah, the last time I felt that way, I was in China and I met this guy who reminded me of John Jones. And I even said, "Man, you remind me of John Jones." He said, "I'm not. I'm Adesanya." <laughs> oh shit! And he went out there and he put on a beautiful performance. But why? And it was just kickboxing. And it went, and after watching him perform, I was like, wow. I was like, I was calling the UFC like, yo, there's this kid 
that you guys got to take a look at. He was just phenomenal to me. So how was China? Where were you in China? Oh, man, I forget. I was in one of those uh, crazy cities, man. It, 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 was, it was a big city, uh, of course, uh, being in China. But uh, China, China was... Uh, China was uh, I don't want to talk trash, but China's like one of the one. It was like one of the dirtiest places I've been, man. It was dirty. It was I've dirty. Heard, uh, this is true. Uh, do, do do and again, I do not know if this is true, but someone who lived there told me it's true. Do they in certain places? Do they uh, spit a lot? Is that true? Yeah, in certain places. In certain places, it, it's it's a it's a it's a different culture. It's just so it's just so so different. It honestly felt like I was like in a different different world man just a different world like they 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 honestly don't even see you sometimes they like almost walk right through you you know what i'm saying hmm. and uh, it, it, it's a different environment environment in china but uh it was a good time though it was definitely a good time i went i went running on the streets in china and they seen me they were looking at me like what is this big old black man doing running around it was trippy my friend is persian right so he's, he's from iran so you know he's all hairy and whatnot he's a small dude but he's all hairy he told me. Um, he told me he lives in New York, right? And he told me that uh, he went to Japan, not China, and he couldn't believe how racist they were in J- in Japan. Oh, yeah. uh, he says he went to get on a bus there in Tokyo, and uh, it was crowded. And he said everywhere he went, everyone gave him a two foot radius. Like he sat down on the bus, <laughs> and everyone who was sitting there next to him got up and moved uh, down to the end of the bus. That rather than be next to him, I was like. Well, that's because you're, you know, you're ugly and no one likes you. But uh. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's 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 like that in Asia, though. It's like that in Asia. When I was running around, they were looking at me. They were just like amazed. Like they would stop and take pictures. Some people would come and touch me. The kids were running from me. They didn't know what to think. They never seen a black dude in real life, man. It was crazy. It, you know why? Because it's crazy for me to see somebody who has never seen nobody black, and it just their reaction to me was funny. That is, yeah, that's interesting. I, obviously, I've never thought of it that way, but that is, that is true. That's crazy. Um, all right, let's get back on the UFC side of things if we can here. I want to phrase a question in a bit of a different way. So let's go back to UFC on ABC2 for just a second if we can, Rashad. Now, both of the names I'm about to say did amazingly well. Okay, really, really well. There's no wrong here. But let me ask you this. Who improved their stock more? Mackenzie Dern with a win over Nina Nunez formerly Nina Ansaroff, or Arnold Allen with a win over Sadiq Youssef in the mm. co-main event? Oh, man, I got to say Mackenzie Dern, you know, with, with uh, four in a row and just looking so good since she's come back from having a baby and just kind of showing that she's closed the area and the gaps that, you know, that we've seen with the stand-up, you know, with the stand-up with, with uh, Mackenzie Dern, it has gotten so much better and it just adds to her jiu-jitsu. She's really looking like a world beater at straw weight, man. She is, you know, so we'll start with her. Um, you know what's interesting about it? First of all, she's making the weight no problem. Remember when she came in like seven or eight pounds over in a 10 mm-hmm. I mean, she was closer to the next weight class than she was her own. You, you didn't see any of that. She made weight. I think 115 is the right weight class for her, not 125. And yeah, Nina was coming in on short notice, but we had saw what she'd done to Tatiana Suarez, stuffing a lot of takedowns. She's a good power puncher. And here's what I like about Dern. I think Dern was getting a little bit too comfortable in the striking. Like, it's weird, Rashada. Sometimes you see these grapplers, the high-level ones, right? The ones who win medals at IBJJF and ADCC, that kind of a thing. 
And they come over, and sometimes they have a lot of difficulty with getting used to the striking. And then sometimes they kind of want to prove that they have no difficulty. And then they end up taking a lot of punches, but they're really comfortable with it. And she was kind of getting towards that territory where you're overcompensating for how much you have to learn and deal with in that particular environment. Here, I am certain, certain she is still working on her striking. And to your point, those transitions to close the distance, she has gotten really better at. But she's also just going back to like, dude, where do you have the advantage in these contests? Clearly on the ground. Clearly. They can train the rest of their lives and they're not going to get as good as you there. Not not even remotely close. So you got to find a way until your striking comes along, even if you're comfortable there or in your mind you're comfortable, just dance with the one that brought you here until you don't need it anymore, uh, which is not currently the case right now. It's an efficient, simple... It's like Khabib. By the time Khabib was done, Rashad, you know better than me. I don't think he was the world's best striker, but he was competent. He was perfectly competent on his feet. And that that gets you far if your ace in the hole is Habib level wrestling. Well, with Mackenzie Dern, you don't need to be, you know, Yoani and Jacek. You just need to be somebody who is use your jiu-jitsu and then build the pieces along and when you need to lean on them, they'll be there. I think that's a much smarter approach. I, I totally agree. And, you know, it goes back to what we're talking about, you know, when we're talking about Marvin Vittori, you know what I'm saying? Not having that one skill to really be like, oh, you need to watch out for what well, Mackenzie Dern. She has that skill. And, and with the striking that she has now, you know, now she knows that she can get the fight down to the ground and just, you know, make it short work. And what I've seen in her in this last performance was kind of like Ronda Rousey-esque type of, you know, poise and control and just that 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 foregone conclusion as if like you know this fight hits the ground it's a wrap i'm gonna take the arm and it's gonna be a short night you know what i'm saying and that's mm. what that that's that's the kind of level that i see that um that that mckenzie Dern can continue to be at you know she can continue to you know solidify herself in this weight class and just be that efficient i'm gonna strike with you but if i get you down on the ground it's over yeah, and I love there was one moment there where she was, I think, uh, either sitting or st- uh, uh, answer off or Nunez was on her back. And I think she was looking to get up. And you had, I think, an overhook on the right side from Dern. And so she was, it wasn't, it wasn't sunk down on the ankle, but, you know, she could have easily slid back for it. And she was trying to pass. She did the bit where she stepped to her left, put her right knee in the center line and was trying to knee cut right through the middle. And you had Nina... Uh, coming up to stop it but that's when she grabbed the leg so essentially Dern was saying look here's your choice you're either going to give up the pass or you're going to give me the leg lock decide which one you would like to do and she gave up the pass as a consequence now you can go back and debate whether or not that was the smart call but I'm just pointing out Dern doing stuff like that and the ease with which she can do it like there are a lot of good grapplers that positionally just get to a position and they hold it they can't do a whole lot with it they can take the back but they're not like a threat from the back like think about how long Kevin Lee had like ally Quintus back and he just could not get close to finishing it dude when dern gets on the ground <laughs> the finish is a coming it ain't far behind and it's because she gives all of these pick your poison scenarios that is i mean who else in your mind on the ground in mma is even close to that that kind of a level for the women's side no, no one to be honest i mean i'm thinking uh um there's some good grapplers but not some like good, that yeah, there's there's some good grapplers, but I mean, just not that 
not that clutch like McKenzie. I mean, she's that's why I brought up Ronda Rousey, because that's what it kind of reminded me of, you know, just the efficiency of her her skill. And, you know, once she once she got her down to the ground, you know, I mean, you know, the arm bar was there, but she was set up for so many other things. And, and when you have someone so efficient in grappling, you know, you, you can they can take you down. And then at that point, you're in a different world where they look like they're going for one submission, but they have like two or three right in front of them. Right. And the other one, too, was there was a moment there. I forget. I think Ansaroff was leaning on her side. She was already, um, you had a, a Dern on top, and she had like a knee on the ribs and then a knee on the face. And it looked like an unstable position, but for anyone who's ever rolled with like a high-level black belt, they can hold those positions. They can control and balance. They can control you and balance themselves at every little stage of it. You can roll and buck. You'll just end up in a, a similar but ultimately just as bad a position. You're not going anywhere. And that kind of a skill, it's like, dude, if you're that good, fucking use it. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like, Jesus Christ. I can't believe we have to ask her this, but she she seems to have come along. Now, I don't want to forget Arnold Allen. He has not fought a lot, Rashad, and so as a consequence, he hasn't really made a bunch of noise. But I tell you what, Sadiq Youssef, who's out of this part of the, the, the country, from Nigeria, but he lives in the uh, D.C. area, he is a handful, young, aggressive, powerful. He makes pretty good decisions, but it looked to me that Allen just, you know, Allen's not, Allen's not a bad athlete, but he maybe not the athlete that Sadiq Yusuf is. He can hit hard, but he's not going to be the power puncher that Sadiq is. And I do think Sadiq is a very talented tie striker, but this was my takeaway, Rashad, see what you think. Allen just had a little bit more weapons to play with, a little bit more of a range to go to, and that was enough to make the difference. Yeah, I agree with that assessment. And also to add to that, Allen had a smoothness, you know, and that smoothness allowed him to uh, make make Sadiq miss a lot of punches and make him work a lot harder. You know, when, when uh, um, you know, uh, Allen was getting to these angles and just sliding off, you know, the slides that he was using was just so impressive and it just really made it uh, so that Sadiq was so out of position and being out of position like that allowed the counters for Allen to come back in. And Allen does such a good job of fighting in so many different ranges. He can fight long. He can fight in close. And and if you forget that he can fight long, you know, he, he'll remind you and he'll drop you from the outside like he did Sadiq with that big right hand. So he has a lot of different tools, a lot of flow. His flow is amazing, you know, with his striking uh, and he goes to, for the takedowns and even how he even gets the takedowns. He's not really working a lot to drive the takedown down, take to drive the takedown. He's getting it in position. His position is so flawless and so good on the entry. He was beating Sadiq, and Sadiq was getting takedown just off the position alone. So this kid is a special talent. Yeah, he, he really is. In terms of Sadiq Youssef, he's still got time. I think he's 28 or so, 27, something like that. Um, what do you say about his development? Like When he fights on his terms, he's a handful but I wonder if he, like, he's one of these guys where it's like, oh, you should see my grappling, it's underrated. And I'm like, right, I, I, I bet that it is. I bet it's actually pretty good. This, this, this sort of youthful mentality of, like, on the one hand, you know, Rashad, we're saying if you're this good, if you're Mackenzie Dern, you should use it. And yet here we are, I, at least I am saying about Sadiq, it's like maybe there's ways to mix in a little bit more. Or, or I, what would you assess from him in terms of, like, what he needs to get to that next stage? Well, he needs to start to being able to take the fight where um, 
where where he where he can. You know what I'm saying? Starting to pose more of his will and start, like you said, mixing in his takedowns or even uh, mixing in the effort for the takedowns. You know uh, what I believe happened to Sadiq was, you know, he he was he was landing the more uh the busier the fighter landing the more sh- the the most shots but when it came to land those key shots he just wasn't able to land the key shots that scored in the judge's mind so at that point he needed to adjust his game plan and he didn't adjust his game plan mm-hmm. so that's go- that's what he's going to have to learn that you know sometimes you're in a dog fight and, and and the guys just got you know edging you out at that point you have to be able to say okay I need to uh, you know take some recon and see what I need to do the next round and then come a little bit different and we didn't see Sadiq change anything from round one to the end of the fight even when he was losing can you think of a fight where you went back to your corner they gave you some advice that maybe maybe you had thought of maybe you hadn't but you're like okay I'm going to implement that and then you did and then the fight changed yeah um, a Forrest Griffin fight a Forrest Griffin fight Forrest was you know, chopping me down the first couple rounds and then the third round, you know, um, Coach Winklejohn was like, hey, what are you doing? You know that's not what you're doing. You're standing on the outside and when he's throwing a leg kick, we step in. We don't stay on the outside. We step in. And uh, when he told me that step in, that's exactly what I did. He threw a leg kick the next round. I stepped in and I stepped in with a punch and I was able to get forced down. So right away, you know, if you're able to make those changes or hit that switch, but I didn't, and even in that fight, I almost didn't even, um, it, it could have went, you know, five rounds with me just getting outstruck by force like that and me trying to figure out or me trying to to uh, get into my rhythm before I realized that if my coach had not said something, you know what I'm saying? So uh, Sadiq has to be able to make those adjustments in a fight. You have hmm. to. Well, I think he's young enough where this went. And again, A, Sadiq Yusuf is young. Two, he didn't get blown out by any stretch of the imagination. And and then three, Arnold Allen's really good. <laughs> He's really yeah. good. So I think that, uh, you know, not a great day for Sadiq Yusuf, but I'm still pretty high on his upside. Yeah, absolutely. I think that Sadiq, you know, I think this is the first fight that he's dropped in the UFC. So yes. um, it, 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 you need... You need uh, fights like this when you're in a UFC and your main goal is to be champion. You need fights like this because these are the fights where you learn the most and he's going to go back and he's going to learn a lot from this fight and come back better. I called one of his amateur fights. Did I ever tell you that? No. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I don't, here's what's funny. I, people, uh, I had this conversation with a friend a couple of years ago. It's like, let me ask you a shot. You ever forget MMA and forget combat sports. Have you ever seen somebody who eventually went on to like high level pro athletics, but when they were like in high school, so basketball, football, something like that, they were we trash. Oh, oh, there he is. Go ahead. You say, have I ever seen anybody go pro? And they were how? Yeah, I've, so, I've, sorry. I've, 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 Let me ask the question again. Here's here's the point I'm trying to make. Yeah. I saw Grant Hill when Grant Hill was in uh, high school. You yeah. know, and watching him compete with other high schoolers was like comical. You know what I mean? Ah, uh, uh, see. Or I watching see, Zion, his last year, Zion Williamson, when he was just yeah. dunking on like five foot nothing white guys in the middle of South Carolina. I mean, it was fuck. It was a fucking joke, right? Yeah. Um, I'm not saying Sadiq was on that level, but let's just say he made short fucking work of his opponents. I mean, it was, it was not long. They, they were not long for this world. Yeah, so he was a man playing among boys, pretty much, huh? Yeah, I mean, he fucked those guys up. Have you ever seen? Have you ever seen anybody in like a, in like a, who went on to do big things and like stick in ball sports, but when they were younger? 
Oh yeah, yeah, and they just look like they were just like the the competition would you know take years and years to catch. Did up you to ever? What, what year did LeBron graduate high school? Like two thousand three or something, something like that. Yeah, I think it was two thousand and three. Something like. Do you did you ever watch LeBron with his high school team? Oh yeah, yeah. I, I followed him. I followed him uh, coming up, man. I followed him coming up. I mean, I mean, it's a joke. It's a joke what he was doing. And those other dudes were all like trying to pretend like they were all part of something special. I'm like, you fuckers have, you know, a superhero as an as a teammate, and you think you're talented? Fuck off. All right. Did it. <laughs> uh, last but not least, Rashad, we go to a question here that is, I don't take delight in asking it. I never take delight in the suffering uh, or the misfortune of the guys in which we cover, unless they richly deserve it for some kind of reason. But e- even then, as controversial as Mike Perry has been, you know, a favorite of a certain um, uh, word that starts with the letter N, un, un, you know, unjustifiably. But forget all that for just a second. He <laughs> goes in there this weekend, and he not only loses Rashad, he looked lifeless. I mean, there was really... It, it, not only that, he got on social media afterwards and said, I used to be great. So I was like, you know what? Am I misremembering things? So I went back and I watched some of his losses and some of his wins. I watched the Felder win, the Jake Ellenberger win, which was a really nice one. And I saw some of his other ones. He was very much unrefined and unpolished, but there was a certain verve and pop and step that he had when he was competing. Dude, he looks not interested. What would you say about Mike Perry? What's gone wrong? You know, he's let... What's going on 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 the outside of his life, you know, finally, you know, sleep into the cage. And uh, it's this MMA game is tough, man. It's really tough because, you know, there's so many different things that can bring you off your game, you know. And what you don't really see a lot of the time is how your personal life starts to erode what what you've built into the cage. And that's what we see happening right now. With Mike Perry, you know, it's just, you know, his outside of life and, and not being able to focus and not being able to put uh, in that professional effort, you know, from, you know, having the right people in his corner to being able to go to camp to all the different things that a professional athlete needs to compete at this level. You know, Mike Perry has been able to um, be very fortunate and, and, and just ride off, you know, some of the skill levels that he has. And, you know, stay in a lot of these fights and to, uh, you know, be remembered as as one of the toughest guys in, you know, in his weight class. But, you know, when you're not refining yourself and you consistently do it fight after fight, then you then you continue to uh, erode your skills. And that's what we're seeing in Mike Perry, just skill erosion, you know, all the skills that, you know, he may have picked up and he's been, you know, uh, he fine tuned in Orlando and, and those kind of things. You know, now you're starting to see that fade because he's it's the discipline. It's like Mike Tyson when he left Customato, you know, for a residual, he had it for a while. But then after a while, you've seen him stumbling over the basics uh, of his style. Hmm. And that's what you see in Mike Perry. Can you get it back? He can get it back. He can definitely get it back. But, you know, that all that all takes, you know, him being honest with himself. He's got to be honest with himself. He's got to be able to have that hard conversation with himself. You know, he has, uh, you know, Miss Latore corner him and him and everything. And um, it's all fun and games, but it's all fun and games until it's not fun and games. You know what I'm saying? 
And, and I think he needs to really start to um, think about things like, okay, I need to do the things I need to do in order to approach the next fight as if it's my last, because I think it might be. I think it might be his last on the contract. It is his last on the contract. And by the way, they could cut him after this because it, it was a loss. I don't know that they will. But Ooh. like Dana, Dana was asked, like I think it was either maybe it was the Tim Means fight, maybe it was the Jeff Neal fight. I don't really remember. He had lost, and someone was asking him, you know, do you want to keep Mike around? Because he's just, you know, he hasn't put two wins together since 2017. He's lost four of his last five, and the one he won was against Mickey Gall with wrestling. And I, and I think I forget which one it was, but someone asked him, you know, the question, and Dana's answer was, you know, it's fun to keep Mike around. And it's like, okay, it was, <laughs> but if you're fighting like that, that, like there was nothing about that performance that was electric, like win or lose, okay, fine, you know, you go out in your shield and you can have like the Melvin Manhoff style, like, you know, you can you can ha- you can have a situation where you're going to lose fights that maybe you should have won if you had fought more carefully, but you know, Melvin Manhoff is like it was in his prime, like this force of nature who just came in like the Tasmanian devil. That's a thing you can do. But if you're not going to do that and then substitute it with something else, you're just going to do that at a less level. It's not even fun anymore. Like the, the right, thing that Dana right. was saying, it's not even manifesting itself. It's just, it's just like lifeless losses in a way. Yeah, you're right, man. I mean, he's, he's fighting as if like he doesn't want to be in there. And that, and that's when, that's when it's time, you know, for them to make the decision of should they have him in there? You know, when you fight like you don't want to be in there, they will make that decision for you. And, um, hmm. I, I, th- I think a big part of that is just, you know, Mike don't even know where to even look for the black box that was his career. He doesn't even know where to look for. He doesn't know where to to look and see where things go wrong. And that's how it happens sometimes. Sometimes, you know, your 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 failure and your downfall is so so subtle in your mind that you don't even see where things went wrong. So you don't even know what to say, okay, I'm gonna change this in order to get myself right again. You know what I'm saying? I mean, you know, sometimes you gotta you gotta figure out what's going on because you got you got to know um, you got to get right before you get left. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. And, and that's and that's just the truth of the matter. He has to get right before he get left. And it looks as if like now he's he's about to get left. Um, I, I, I would love to work with a Mike Perry. I would love to work with a Mike Perry and kind of see if he can uh, get those get it back on a mental level. You can see physically he still looks the part, right? You know, he, he doesn't come in out of shape, which I think is a good thing. Or, well, you know, I don't know what happened against Tim Means. I, I forget if, yeah, Perry missed weight for that one. But certainly in this one, he came in on weight. And, okay, so you can do those parts. But, like, ah, I, there's just a, there's a zip and a pop missing, man. And um, it is costing him quite, quite badly. All right, so those are our six topics, I guess. Connor is now trending on Twitter, by the way, for folks who care. Uh, <laughs> let's get to where you get to ask us some questions. It's time now for DMs from Donks. There's our donkey. All right. So every Sunday, we put up a post on uh, Instagram, and we solicit questions. You guys fill them up, and then the producers pick five of those f- five of those for us to answer. All right, let's kick things off here, Mr. Evans. This is from uh, either Mr. Simon UK or Mrs. Iman UK. I'm going to guess it's Mr. Simon. Would Till have beaten... The Marvin that showed up Saturday night. What do you think? You said, "Well, who have beaten Chael?" No, no, no. Darren Till, the originally scheduled. Oh, Till, opponent. Till. Would Till have beaten? Um, geez. 
I don't know because here's why I say I don't know. Uh, I know that Marvin would have fought differently against a Darren Till. You know, Darren Till is is so dangerous with his striking and the fact that he fights very big and he has a lot of pop on his punches too. So I could have seen Marvin grappling a bit, but I don't see that him being able to have that kind of control, being able to hold Darren Till down or anything like that. So it would have been a much different fight. I think it would have been largely contested on the feet though. Yeah, it's like, here's the thing. I don't know. I, I, I tend to think that Till might have, at least early, put up a much more difficult challenge. It's just, just in the takedown defense alone, you know? Not that he's like some expert wizard in takedown defense, but you know, relative to Kevin Holland, he probably is. Um, late, I don't know. But I'll say this. Because I don't know, I would still like to see that fight. And because Marvin Vittori... Still needs another win, in my judgment, before he can be really in that space where you're like, okay, man, we got to get this guy a title shot. I say run it back. I say run it back. If Till can heal, I've never broken a clavicle, so that fucking sucks, I'm sure. Um, But if they can get on a similar timeline, do you still want to see it? I do. Yeah, I still want to see if it can happen, but healing from a clavicle is is a tough one, I think. Have you broken a clavicle? No, but I know somebody who did uh, break a clavicle and it took a while for him to get right just because he didn't feel as if like it was strong hmm. enough, you know? Man, I'll tell you what, what, what is the, uh, do you have any, forget about anything related to the brain, just from the neck down, right? Um, do you have an injury every day that you're reminded you have? Does that make sense? Like every day I open the yeah. fridge and I can feel it in my shoulder or every day I stretch and I can feel it when I wake up. Do you have one injury like that? Yeah, my shoulder. My shoulder's like that. My left shoulder's like that. Did you have it repaired? No, I didn't have it repaired. I should have had it repaired and I might still have it repaired, but it's like one of those things where it's just it, like some days is good, some days is it takes a while to get warmed up. What did you do to it? Do you know? <laughs> Oh, no, I don't even know, man. Just years and years of just beating the hell out of it. <laughs> I uh, So I'm the king of shoulder injuries. I've torn my rotator cuff in this one, and I tore my labrum in this one, and I had to get oh. this one repaired. Um, I actually, I'm reminded of the injury because what they did was, uh, so I had torn my labrum so thoroughly, Rashad, that here's how I knew it was a problem. A, I could feel it pop, but uh, I was falling asleep. And then my so- my shoulder would fall out of the socket in my sleep, oh. and it would wake me up, and it would be super fucking painful, as you can imagine. Oh man! So they had to they had to sew it up. But what the guy the guy who did my surgery was the previous surgeon for the Washington at the time the Washington Redskins, and um, so he told me I'm going to stitch you up in such a way where you're going to lose just a little bit of mobility, but to do that we're going to keep it safe. So we're actually going to tighten it so much. That there's no possible way, you know, sort of a traumatic car accident to get back to where you were. But I actually don't have the same mobility in my... Sh- Dude, shoulders are complicated things. I mean, it's yeah. not like an elbow that just goes one, you know, bends in one direction. They go all over the all place. The and you fuck those up, you're fucking up a lot of different life functions, you know? Yeah. <laughs> so so he tightened it up, though. Like, does it feel a little like over tightened now or what? Yeah, it does, actually. So I, when I stretch, I have, to take a, <laughs> I have to do special on this side. I don't know if it'll, it can show up on camera. I'll do a little, a little test here. You may not be able to tell. So if I put my elbows to my side and I just rotate out, it's about as far as I can go. Okay. You can't oh. really see much. Okay. Now, this is the one that's, I, I tore the, the rotator cuff, but I did not get, like to get surgery. 
So this is the one that's not been repaired. If I open this up, I can go all the way here. You can't quite see, but it's like I can go well past my side. Here I can only go 45 degrees, you know? So I can go yeah. 90 versus 45. Yeah. See, that's the, that's the thing that's the thing about it though. Like like you all have a, you have a recommendation and you have like what the doctors say is going to happen after you have your surgery and you heal, but you never know how it's going to heal. Like I've always found like my body never heals exactly how the doctors say it's going to heal. And then the doctor says, well, you know, your rehab was a little, nah, doc, it just wasn't like how you say it wasn't how you sold me. <laughs> yeah. Well, I was just, I didn't get surgery on this one because I felt like I didn't need it. I had to get it here. Like, I didn't have a choice. It was so fucked up, I had to do it. So, you know, that it's not what it once was, I'm like, well, it was kind of better than it was at its worst. So, we'll just leave it, I guess. Yeah. All right. From at Angry Suddy, has bottom game defense evolved, Rashad? There has been a lot less solid ground and pound or elbows in full mount in recent history. I've said this before. I think I said it to you, as a matter of fact. Mount is a lost art. Passing is a lost art. And in particular, mounting and t- taking the mount and then holding the mount. There are not many guys you could say are like, whoa, they're really good at holding mount. Yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah. The, the bottom game has definitely evolved. I mean, you know, it, it's really hard to hold the guy down now. It's really hard to even hold him in position where you can even uh, land some consistent ground upon. And that's what made Habib so amazing at what he was able to do because. Um, being able to consistently get guys down and grind them out and, and have the kind of pop that you hear in a Habib fight, you know, that, that's kind of hard to do. Uh, and being able to do the wash and repeat, take the guys down and consistently hold them down at the same time, punching them. It's hard because now so many people like, like, you know, in order to just be at a decent enough level to be in the UFC, you're going to be at a level where you can, you know, mount a pretty good offense, uh, defense to get back up to your feet. So it, it's hard to hold guys down nowadays. It really is. Um, yeah, I know the days of Tito Ortiz taking someone down and beating them up inside their guard while pressing the back of their head into the fence. That was we a real thing it. when you came up. That was a real way to win. <laughs> yeah. You couldn't yeah. imagine it anymore, you know? Nah, you can't, man. The game's evolved. All right, let's go to at GTM, I guess. Gin and tonic, uh, something. Do you think John Jones made a mistake in vacating the 205 belt while trying to negotiate with the UFC? Wouldn't he have had more leverage if he had held on to the belt, keeping 205 on hold? I don't know, Rashad. They could just strip his ass. I mean, I, I, I agree with that. That was my biggest assessment from the beginning when, when the whole, like, uh, after the fight was over, he texted and showed me the money. I was just kind of just surprised by that text. I mean, I thought the money was talked about before we gave up the belt, John. That's what we do. We're not just giving up our belt. We're not just giving up. We're not just taking the step off the throne without having any guarantees. Like, I, I mean, I just knew that wasn't the case, but I was wrong. I was I was wrong about it. I, th- I think that would have been the smartest thing to do. But now he puts himself in a position uh, where where he has to prove that he deserves that, and you know, to me, John Jones does deserve that kind of money all day. You know what I'm saying? When you're talking about John Jones, you're talking about arguably one of the best fighters to ever do it. But this is not what this game's about. You know what I'm saying? This game is not about who deserves what. 
This the game is about who can actually generate that kind of money, that kind of attention. Can this fight generate that kind of attention between Francis and John Jones? Potentially, potentially it can be. It can, but that that also has to do with how the fight is still sold in the stretch. You know, Francis is not much of a talker, and John Jones is not much of a talker at times. So you know. What is the other thing that's going to make people get really excited about this fight? And does that equal the UFC open up their paper, the the, uh, the pocketbook? You know. Do you think they'll make it in the end? That'll happen in twenty twenty one. I, th- I, th- not twenty twenty one. Maybe twenty twenty two. Because so I, th- I think twenty twenty one. I think it'll go to Derek Lewis, and I think that would probably be it for for that fight. Or it could, if it does happen, it may happen at the end end of 2021. Okay, but you're not giving up hope for it just yet. No, I think I think it has to happen. I mean, you know, um, that's that's the fight to make. You know, that that is the fight to make. It'd be it'd be a true shame to not see that fight happen, especially seeing how big John Jones is. John Jones looks big, and I think it's a mistake. For John Jones to be like, I want to get as big as him. Why? No. No. You don't want to be as big as him. And I say that because, like, there's got to be different. Like, if I was John Jones, I would want to be in there to be the smaller one, to be the lighter one, to be, you know, to bring in some of those attributes, attributes that that uh, a 205 ponder can bring, you know, being uh, faster pace, um, being more elusive and being a lighter guy. See, I have mixed feelings, Rashad. Obviously, you know better than I do, but let me let me just say this. Like, watching that Adesanya fight with Blahovich, I've watched that fight a bunch now because I got a tape study coming out on Blahovich because, you know, I, I missed his rise completely. So I wanted to go back and, you know, figure out what I got wrong. But in watching that Adesanya fight, it's like, okay, you can make an argument. We're talking about the fourth and fifth rounds where he got the takedown, right, and, and held it. To me, you yeah. can make an argument, certainly on the feet, that him being nimble – um, is going to be way more advantageous, even if he's giving up a little bit in terms of the strength department for like clinching or something like that. But it did seem to me, and I haven't talked to him or his team, but once he was on his back on the ground, that the weight differential between a Gastelum and a Blahovich it showed up mm. to me. Not mm. substantially, but enough where like, if you go back to the Gastelum fight, feet in the hips from Adesanya, pushing Gastelum off, firing underhook, doing a technical get-up, like the whole thing, you know? He was able to physically match the intensity of a Gaslam. I don't think he was ever to get very close with a Blahovich. Now, you might be saying, well, is Francis going to do that to John? Yeah, probably not. But I guess I want to say is there's got to be some kind of a needle where you can thread where, okay, I still keep the speed advantage, but I also want to make sure that if I get into a compromised situation, I'm not going to just be overwhelmed by muscle. Yeah, I, I, but here's the thing, though. I think unlike the Adesanya and Blahowitz fight, I don't. I think that John Jones' understanding of how to get up is, you know, is, is so far, you know, more supreme than Adesanya. I don't think, you know, he he can get up with a guy who's, you know, physically stronger and uh, heavier than him just off of the the technical aspect of knowing how to move his body. Can he do it on a consistent basis? I don't know, you know, but but. I don't think that Francis would be able to get him down if he did get him down on a consistent basis. So I don't think he would have to worry about that too much. I just worry about this. I worry about a John Jones who's a bit slower, 
who, who doesn't have the ability to move his feet. You know, those kind of things can spell disaster against a guy like Francis Ngannou, who hits like like he does. You know what I'm saying? And 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 for the most part, the last few fights of John Jones that we've seen, you know, it, it was kind of close, and these guys were able to land some shots. And and you know, John didn't finish these fights, and they were very close fights. And some will even argue the fact that John kind of pulled off the gas a little bit when it comes to uh, striking because he felt. The power and the strikes coming back from his opponents. Now, if he pulled back because he felt the power from his opponents at the 205 division, what is he going to do with the heavyweight division when he feels the power of Francis Ngannou? Does John need the extra weight to take Francis down? We know he's got the technique, but what, what, what I what I sorry, let, let me let me phrase what I think what, what that means. It's not to say if he was the same kind of 205 ish, you know, without weight cutting frame. So let's say 215, 220, something like that that he couldn't get Francis down. What I'm saying is, does he need a little bit of extra muscle over time for a three, four round fight, let's say? Does he need that little bit of extra heft to get Francis down, considering big fucking Francis is enormous and athletic and as we've seen, getting pretty talented too? Yeah, he might He might need a little bit extra uh, muscle for that, but... I think his weight gain and wanting to get bigger is just for his mindset. You know what I'm saying? Like, you know, um, you know, not not to uh, bring in anything uglier to try to, you know, not allow him to get past his past mistakes. But a guy doesn't use performance enhancing uh, supplements because, you know, they're confident in how strong they are. You know what I'm saying? So if, if we take that mindset then we know that he needs to mentally feel stronger than his opponents to feel comfortable in the fight, you know, and that's not to not to throw any shade on John. That's just to be, you know, give a fair assessment. And, um, you know, is he going to over over um, is he going to overcompensate for that for that mental deficiency? You know what I'm saying? Because it can be a mental deficiency. I'm not saying that that is a, a fact, but, you know, it could it could be a possibility. That's why he needs to or feel he needs to get that extra size. From J.M. Pepito, 23, Boots Ennis displayed an interesting style, more seen in MMA than in boxing, where instead of the traditional boxing style with your guard up, he allowed his hands to flow freely to accommodate a more wide-open stance that allows him to move and punch from different angles. Do you think young boxers will adopt this technique or stick with a bit of a more traditional fundamental? Rashad, you would know better than I. I, I just mean this. It's like, you see this in, a, in MMA too. It's like, oh, um, you know, I'm not comparing them to exactly, but it's something like, oh, uh, BJ Penn, and let's say prime BJ Penn. BJ Prime's flexibility or blah, 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 or BJ Penn's certain this or that. It's like, dude, Boots Ennis does a lot of shit that I would not recommend. <laughs> Unless you're Boots Ennis or, you know, you're much more senior as a fighter. It's like, do I think if you could do what Boots Ennis does at scale, would it be good? Yes. I just don't think a lot of different people, even when they train young, are going to... You just can't do what that kid does. No, you can't. And especially something like that. Like something like that is is something that's so fundamentally based and it's like... Uh, you know, he had a really good coach in his early development that really drilled him doing that over and over again. And unless you're going to be able to have that kind of discipline from a coach, then you may not be able to develop that in your consistent, uh, you know, in your consistent style. You know what I'm saying? So it, it, it's just something that's unique to him. 
and that he's been able to perfect and look good, I think it's great. And I think a lot of fighters can uh, get a lot of benefit out of that kind of stance or using that kind of, um, you know, hands up um, striking style. But at the same time, some people may not feel comfortable with it, you know, and, and that's what the game's about. Everybody, you know, feeling comfortable in just, you know, doing their skill. And then last but not least, Rashad, this one's for you. Uh, I did not pick these, so don't get mad at me if you don't like the question Uh-oh. at all. I think it'll, it'll be all right. From Dude Memes, that's the name of the uh, account. For Rashad, if you could do hallucinogens with any person, living or dead, who would it be and why? And don't you dare say Brian Campbell. You're dead to me if you say that. <laughs> who would it be and why? Oh man, I I would say uh man, who would it be and why? Um I would pick somebody like Dana White. Oh, I would That love, is such a great answer. Tell me why. Because um I've hung out with Dana a couple times in a party situation and uh he's super fun to hang out and party with, but it would be very interesting to see his his introspective side. You know what I'm saying? To see how 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 deep he gets, and just being able to feel that um, that that magnificence of of this existence that we are part of. You know, it, it's it when when the, when the when the psychedelics get in your body, you just start feeling and talking a certain kind of way. You know, you start feeling this interconnectedness. And I would love to hear Dana White start talking on that level the way he talks. <laughs> Um, all right, we're, we're a little bit we're a little bit low on t- uh, time here. Uh, by the way, I, I would in a different conversation. I want to talk to you about what they're doing in Oregon with psychedelic use for um, like legalizing it, basically for therapeutic purposes. I would love to have a conversation with you about that at a different time. We're a little bit short, so let's just wrap things up here if we can. Uh, time for the show, Rashad, where we do odds and ends. You are my esteemed uh, co-host, so please go first, good sir. What do you have for odds and ends today? Odds and ends, you know, I was looking to see, um, you know, uh, Mike Tyson in Holyfield, but Tyson is, I mean, uh, Holyfield is fighting McBride. And I think that's kind of kind of a mess right now. You know, I mean, Mike Tyson's coming off hot of that fight with Rory Jones and, you know, being close with Mike Tyson. Mike is still training. Mike is training with Rafael Cordero, you know, consistently based based uh, now. And, um, you know, he's. He's looking so good and he's feeling so good and his mindset is around fighting. And uh, Holyfield has always been one of those guys who's, I guess, been his Achilles heel when it comes to competing in, in the professional life. So it would be good to see him and, and Holyfield get a chance to fight. I mean, this is the fight everybody wants to see. Uh, it, I do not wish to see it. I will be candid. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a born hater. That is what I am. Uh, oh, come and on, we're going to talk. We're going to talk on Wednesday about Triller and and uh, the Paul brothers and Ben Askren. You and I. But uh, yes, we'll see what happens with this one. I, listen, there's a market for it. There's a market for it. So I understand that. Um, last but not least, for me. I was not on my radar. Brian Campbell put it on my radar, so I watched it. It was phenomenal over the weekend. Joe Smith Jr. uh, capturing the vacant WBO light heavyweight title over Maxime Vlasov on ESPN. It was tremendous. This dude, Joe Joe Smith Jr., excuse me, out of Long Island, I think, 
power puncher. It's just one of these fights, Rashad, where you just really couldn't tell who won. Well, there was one part where Vlasov took a knee, but the ref counted as a slip, even though he took a knee from the body punches. So at that point, you're like, I don't know. And in fact, the first score that they read was 114-114. I'm like, oh, here we go. But um, Joe Smith got it done. Just an absolute war, a war really grinding affair the kind where when they ask the winner how they feel the very first thing that they say is all the credit goes to my opponent what a man what a warrior what a thing like they can't that's the first order Uh, of business and not because he's being polite but because it's on top of mind you know what i mean rashad yeah like an old-fashioned slobber knocker like a mickey ward and (laughs) type of fight right one of those classic instant classics huh it was something like that, and it just—it was just hard. One of those fights where both guys were taking tremendous amounts of abuse, and then and then finding ways to gut it out. But Joe Smith Jr. got it done. So shouts to Brian Campbell for putting that on my radar, and shouts to the American uh, Joe Smith Jr. for getting his hand raised. Uh, all right, so for us today, that is it, Rashad. Um, let me remind the viewers to give the video a thumbs up, hit that subscribe button. If you want to try Showtime, you certainly can. Go to Showtime.com, 30-day free trial. If you like it, you can keep it. If not, you can go pound sand. If you want to take the plunge, there it is, Show.com slash Bellator MMA. First six months for four ninety nine a month if you're so inclined. Uh, you can follow all of us on social. You can follow Rashad, Sugar Rashad Evans on Twitter and on Instagram. Morning Combat, same kind of thing. Uh, me, my names differ slightly between Instagram and Twitter. I don't even really use Instagram. Dude, my life is fucking boring. What am I going to share on Instagram that people, you know, <laughs> I'm not documenting my boring life for audiences. But anyway, okay, you can go follow me if you want. Hey, um, hey LT, LT, at least you know that. A lot of people don't know that their life is boring. They document it anyways. You're just like, why am I following this person? I know who I am. I'm a boring dad. It's fine. It's okay. Uh, and last but not least, morningcombat at gmail.com if you would like to send in something for Dead Wrong or fan submissions. Morningcombat at gmail.com is the place to be. Okay? All right. Rashad, it was wonderful talking with you. Enjoy the rest of your day. I appreciate your time. And uh, we'll talk on Wednesday. Thank you, Luke Thomas. Talk to you soon, my friend. All right. For Rashad, for CBS, for Malka, for Showtime, I'm Luke Thomas. That's Rashad Evans. Until Wednesday, may all of your gains be loyal.